you know, I, I felt like since we were just at Burning Man, I had to sort of um, couch it as some sort of research. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Burning Man. I'm going to put my hat on. So, <laughs> so, so Burning Man is completely designed to give you this Miralumba experience, to, to pull away all of your supports, to take away your ordinary self. And um, it's, it does it in more ways even than just the nightclub experience. So um, actually my original camp that I went out to Burning Man from New York with in, you know, in like 2003 was called Disorient because the whole goal of the camp was to use, you know, mylar and reflective surfaces and mirrors and crazy music and like a bar that served like an Everclear-based drink, which is like 150 poof grain alcohol, to try to get people as disoriented as possible. Um, and, you know, and I mean, people spent thousands and thousands of dollars bringing this camp out on, on you know, tractor trailers, all our equipment and everything from New York, just to give disorientation to other people, right? The whole, the whole ethos of Burning Man is that you go out there with everything you need to survive, and then you also go out there with something to give. And there's no buying anything, there's no, there's no money. Um, everything is just freely given. And it's such a beautiful, you know, I think that through that people are creating the karma to have the amazing experiences that they're having there. And they're creating the karma to have the kind of amazing life that allows them to actually go out to Burning Man mm -hmm. again. And I think that's something that people would like to recreate, maybe not, as, not, not able to identify that that's the thing that feels so good that we'd like to recreate in our lives. The fact that it's this beautiful exchange, this gift or barter economy. Um, so obviously at nighttime there's all sorts of crazy lights, there's, you know, lots of big sound systems. But one thing that's interesting is when you get there, the first thing that they say to you is welcome home. And you, you are, you're given a new name. You're given what's called a playa name, usually your first year. Someone who knows you or who just met you will give you some other kind of name. <laughs> and you can choose to use that name instead of your real name. It's considered a little bit gauche to ask someone at Burning Man, so what do you do? Right? Isn't that like, you? oh, so what's your name? Where are you from? What do you do? You can say what's your name. They may tell you a name that's like Dragonfly or like, you know, Mushroom Bunny or whatever. You know? That's your name. You say, you know, where, where are you from or who are you camping with is more common. Where is your new home within this temporary community? And people identify much more strongly out there with, well, I'm with this really cool camp and we make pizzas. My friend was with a camp who they delivered pizzas to people and the premise was, here's a pizza that your future self ordered in a week, here it is. And you're like, oh, thank you. I didn't know I wanted a pizza, but here's a pizza. Like, talk about messing with your sense of space and time. Uh, that, you know, a week later, you're thinking about, wow, I really wish I had something to eat that Friday evening. I was really hungry. Well, that comes to you on the Friday evening without you having to think about it. Yeah. Or even you're just back home and you think I'd like a pizza. But it happens a week earlier. So, and, and, and you live, you live there for, you know, five days, ten days. In, in a van or in an RV, you know, completely surrounded by mostly, you know, strangers or people from all over the country, all over the world. Um, about halfway through the week, people start removing all the street signs 
So you get attached to the idea of I live on 930 and K, but then someone takes the street sign. Or and then, different, different street signs. Yeah, and then, or changes the street signs or puts street signs from last year up or things like that. So everyone, halfway through the week, everyone is driving by going, where are we? Do you know where we are? Hey, excuse me, do you know where I am? Because we were camping on a corner. So people would say, hi, where am I? Where is this? Where are you? Where do you live? What is this? You know? And most of the time the answer is here now. Here now. <laughs> Amazing costumes. I tend to dress up as something unrecognizable so I can walk around as a different self and a lot of people are totally unrecognizable. They're wearing full body, full face costumes, you know, so that you're interacting with someone without being able to put a label on them as, oh, this is, this person looks like a computer programmer, or, you know, this person looks like someone from Dallas, or whatever you want, I mean, everyone wears cowboy hats, so, um, and, and you have that opportunity to walk around to take on a different self, you know, for a night you can be a gypsy, for a night you can be Minnie Mouse, like, whatever you want to do, um, and it's very freeing, um, and then, uh, and then as, as in meditation retreat, what they do in deep meditation retreat is they encourage you to cover all the mirrors, right, so that you don't see your face. If you're sleeping in the back of a van, it's really hard to look at yourself in the mirror. And you're, and you're, you know, you're dressing up and everything like that. As in deep retreat, your sleep schedule gets really messed up. You're totally off your normal, you know, I get up for eight at work, so that's the time I wake up every day. You're going to, you're going to bed at eight. That's disorienting. There's this really intense level of connection with the elements. You're walking around just on this bare ground the whole time. And there's these beautiful mountains all around. So you have the earth element is really strongly represented. It starts getting into your toes. It starts getting into all of your clothes. There's more earth element than you wanted. There's, there's this constant wind that's blowing the dust around. And there's this constant movement of people. So the mobility aspect is hyper-accentuated. These are the typical five elements that we talk about in yoga philosophy and Buddhist philosophy. Water becomes really important because you have to bring all your own water and you have to have it with you all the time and everyone's always offering each other water. Water becomes a really big deal. There's fire. They're burning stuff all the time. There's all these you know, amazing jets of flame going up in the sky and big piles of stuff burning all the time. And the sun just heats. It's so disorienting. When you get up at 4 in the afternoon and it's 100 degrees out and there's no shade, which doesn't always happen, but it happens sometimes, it's incredibly disorienting. You know, it's like being on the moon. There's no vegetation. There's no trees. There's no rocks. And in terms of the space element, there's this huge big sky, huge broad horizons. There's sunrises and sunsets that, like you've never seen. And, and I, I, it just, to me, it seems not surprising, coming from these teachings, going out there, I hadn't been in five years, that they're trying to create an experience so that people can go every year and lose themselves. And it's encouraging to me that now out there, there's more and more spiritual workshops, and there's more and more ways of helping people in that open space find something. There's, there's yoga, there's positive psychology, there's all these different things. And people are like, okay, now is the moment when I could. I taught a meditation class and people come up to me and they say, this is, this is the moment where I think I could change. Can you tell me how? Because they've broken down some of those structures, right? And, um, you know, we did our yoga base talk out there and it was amazing. But 
if you don't find something in that moment, in that space, some real lineage, some real philosophy, some real connection with a teacher, then you just spend the whole year, like they have all these fundraisers and camp meetings and this and that and Burning Man parties of people just trying to just trying to get just a little bit of that experience until next year. People start counting down the days, you know, 364 days to the next burn. Like, and, and, you know, I mean, in a way, it's, it's, it's so beautiful, but it's a little bit like, for, for us, it's a little bit sad as well because we'd like to be able to offer everyone out there what we have in this amazing lineage of putting that into context. So you guys are so fortunate to be here in a place with a Dharma center and a yoga studio with these amazing teachers who can expose you to this kind of experience and not have to just keep grasping after it over and over. So, so why does it wear off? What's missing? You know, as we talked about yesterday, the yamas and the niyamas, you have to be creating the karma by making other people have amazing experiences in order for you to have an amazing experience. And I think that during Burning Man, people do that for each other and it works. But once you come out, are you giving all your stuff away to strangers? Are you spending, you know, are you spending all your time looking after the needs of other people? Or does it immediately contract back into this me focus? And if it does, then you're lessening your chances of having an experience like that again, an experience of opening. So, so there's that aspect. Um, and you know, this is the same thing with why does dancing just going out and dancing at a club not work as a practice on its own? Why does yoga asana, as Lama Marut was talking about last night, not work as a practice on its own, taken out of the context of the other seven limbs of yoga? So we have karma and we have wisdom. Dharana 18. Oh, Bhairavi, one who recites Om and other such seed mantras and then meditates on emptiness at the end of the drawn-out version of such a recitation arrives at emptiness, through emptiness, the highest shakti. So here's the key. You've got to drop some wisdom in there. You can do this amazing, like it's talking about like a kirtan or a mantra recitation. Um, they talk about kirtan as being the back door to meditation because after moving the prana, moving the breath, it's so easy to drop into that space. But how many of us really take that opportunity and turn it into a powerful time for meditation? Or do we just go like, okay, that was 30 seconds. Can I sing the next song now? Or do we go like, well, that was a nice kirtan. I guess I'll go to another one in a month. You know, do we go home from the nightclub and sit down and meditate? Do we take those opportunities? Right? <laughs> right? No, probably not. <laughs> so we take the, you know, we need to take those opportunities, it's not surprising that it says after this drawn out version, you put the time in, you move the winds, you move the body, and then you drop into this state of wisdom. You take the teachings that you've received from amazing teachers like Lama Marut, and you apply it into that space of openness, into that space of dissolution, and actually use it for something, you know, reinvest it, instead of just having it be an experience where you burn out a lot of good karma by feeling good for a while, and then just go like, oh well, that was nice, I hope that happens again. So this is all about having the wisdom to know how to reinvest what brought you that experience and the bliss that you feel during it in order that you can have it again and have it not at Burning Man and have it without the drugs. 